Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 51. Wow, there's a lot of stuff going on, and we have questions to answer for you. I'm going to answer a question about what to do about a fearful boss who freaks out whenever an employee quits. What else do we have here? I'm going to answer a question about giving references for former employees. Answer the question, should there be a higher bar for accepting an offer if you already have a job? That's a good question. Uh, Talk about why people leave instead of speaking up when things are going wrong at work. And um, then we're going to talk about some weaponized words in the workplace. Out in the world, the workplace news, a little bit of workplace news. Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, has announced he's going to step down. Good. Goodbye. Good riddance pioneer in e-commerce and finding creative ways to screw over employees. I hope that whoever comes in to replace him undoes some of that damage, but, you know, remains to be seen. I mean, people that are hired by a guy like him are going to tend to, one would imagine, have the same mindset. Also, uh, news on the budget reconciliation front The research has shown that the $15 minimum wage proposed by President Joe Biden uh, has a significant impact on the budget, and that could allow it to be included in the the, uh, COVID relief bill making its way through Congress such that Democrats could approve it without needing 10 Republicans on their side. So that's really good news, too, if you're a fan, like I am, of a mandated $15 an hour federal minimum wage. So uh, let's get into these questions. Hi, Liz. I'm an HR manager. How do I convince my CEO that when someone quits, they are not a traitor? He takes every resignation personally. I would like to wish people well and give them a goodbye lunch, but he is adamantly opposed. He won't even say goodbye. Any suggestions? Here's what I said on Twitter. An HR manager working for a fearful CEO is in a tough spot. People learn best through natural consequences. Another way of saying that Mother Nature is the best teacher. Your CEO might rise out of his fear-based mindset if you allowed him to experience the natural consequences of his hostility toward departing employees. Those consequences could include more people quitting, people quitting without giving notice, and a general loss of motivation. HR, unfortunately, often serves as a buffer between fearful CEOs and reality. The HR person is afraid of getting blamed for the natural, predictable, negative consequences of their CEO's fear slash hostility, so they do their best to prevent those consequences, and the CEO learns nothing. Your choices are to stop serving as a buffer and PR person for your CEO or launch a stealth job search and find a more deserving person to work for. I mean, you guys, that's the tough reality. HR, you know, is hard when you tell the truth. And you may feel pressure to to internally to tell the truth. You're a moral person, right? I certainly did. And I remember many instances where I would walk into my boss's office or some other executive thinking, okay, I take a little risk right now, but I, you know, I mean, it's an acceptable risk, right? Because why would I want to work for somebody 
I don't respect somebody unethical. I, in fact, I'm not going to allow somebody like that to wreck my ethical brand, my personal ethical brand that I carry around with me. Like, what would they have to pay me to get me to trample on that? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, I'm not making light of the of the risk of losing your job and, you know, facing the economic penalties for that. It's a tough, tough thing. And that's why I always say, keep your eyes open. Be ready to go. Be ready to leave if something like this goes down and you can't stay silent. Now, in this case, what did I mean, okay, when I said HR can too often serve as the buffer between a fearful CEO and reality? Because we in HR enable bad management a lot. Let's be honest. Okay, we've all done it. And it's baked in very often to HR jobs. We need to be truth tellers and we can be surrounded by people saying, no, don't tell the truth. Just hush up and do what I told you to do. And, you know, there's, it's easier to do that. It's easier to go along until it's three o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep and you're saying, what am I doing? What am I doing to myself and to other people? I'm not willing to do this you know, anymore. And you have to speak up. Here's the thing. Most of the time when I was nervous about saying something, um, that I thought might not be popular. And what happens when HR people say something that's too truthful? Oh, you're not even a business person. You're not a real business person. You're just an HR person. Like, okay, if you want to brand all business people as a-holes, you know, uh, fine. But I don't think that's what all business people are. But I mean, I got so used to that. At one point I had someone tell me, you know what? You're just not going with the flow here. You're not going along with the consensus, the group consensus that I basically have threatened people into. So why don't you just skip the meeting? I'm just gonna have the business people there. That's what he said. I'm gonna have the business people there. You don't need to come. It was like trying to be a diss. And I said, seriously? Are you, that's all the best you got? Like I'm gonna be, what am I going to like cry? Like, oh, I'm not a business person. I said, oh, you should totally have your meeting and have whoever you want there. But you know what? I mean, we're eventually going to come around to having this conversation again, because the thing that you're proposing and having this meeting about is just not a, a non-starter, as my sporty friends would say. And, you know, we're not going to do this. Look, it. HR person... Anybody in any function, you're going to run into situations where it's between you and, you know, the abyss. If you, if you sign on to unethical things, it's not unethical per se to be mean to departing employees, but it's stupid and fearful and the opposite of leadership and a guaranteed way to get people to not give a shiz about their jobs. And as an HR person, you can't support that. They believe me, the employees know if this CEO is not saying goodbye to people when they leave, great employees who might have been with your company for a long time and made major contributions and made personal sacrifices on behalf of the company, they know this guy is a jerk, right? You're, you, you try to run interference and it just doesn't work and it ends up tarnishing you. So probably your best bet is to move on and have high standards. We're going to talk about standards for job seeking for employed job seekers in a, in a minute here. All right. I've got a question from Megan. Hi, Liz. 
I was surprised to find that my company will not give references for former employees. They will only confirm the dates of your employment and your title. Is this standard? Okay, Megan, if you're in the United States, yes, that is standard. I remember when it happened um, years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, used to be normal and standard before that that a company could call, a person who was thinking about hiring you could call your manager, your former manager at your last job, or you might even have still been working there if your manager knew that you were job hunting. And that used to be more common too, by the way, Megan. Used to be not a big deal in a lot of places to say, you know what, uh, my husband got a job in the north suburbs. I can't commute down to the city. I'm gonna job hunt. I'll give you plenty of notice. Would you mind being a reference for me, boss? And the boss would be like, oh, Megan, I hate to see you leave, but of course I'll be a reference. It was friendlier. It really was, Megan, in general. Not for everyone. Not always. I could never make a blanket statement like that. But in my experience, things have gotten harsher, more autocratic at work in the last 20 years. It's the reason we started the company Human Workplace and the Human Workplace Movement to reinvent work for people. That's our mission. So yeah, it used to be a common thing. It sounds quaint now to tell your boss, you know what, I'm gonna be job hunting and would you mind being a reference? And many of them would say, of course I'll be a reference because it was like a point of pride to be able to say, oh, I trained Megan, I taught her everything she knows, she's amazing. You'll be happy you know, to have her on your team. It was normal. And then some lawyer told some CEO, oh no, there is a risk. If you let managers give references for former employees, some manager might give an employee a bad reference and we, you CEO, my client, might get in trouble, you might have a lawsuit from an employee who feels that the manager defamed them. Now it's interesting because telling the truth is a strong defense against defamation. Again, I'm not a lawyer, okay? I'm an opera singer, musical theater and opera. <laughs> I'm an HR person, but the legal risk to having managers give references for former employees in case somebody slimes a former employee is so minuscule, but it was not minuscule enough to keep pretty much all CEOs from saying, oh yeah, that's over. That's over. We're not doing that anymore. We're not giving references for any employee ever. It doesn't matter what kind of great employee they were. It doesn't matter if they worked for our company for years. No references. We're only going to verify dates and titles. What a slap in the face. It's almost like you would like to ask at an interview before you take a job. By the way, do you guys have a policy prohibiting managers from giving job references for former employees? But who's going to ask that question before you take the job? You won't get the job, most likely. It's a horrible, brutal, stupid idiotic policy like so many of the policies I denounce and decry in this podcast and, and elsewhere. But it's very, 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 very prevalent, Megan. And here's the thing. When I occasionally write about this policy or reference it, I get so much 
email as a response and people say, oh, no, 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 that's based on on huge lawsuits where company, no, it's not. No, it's not. Show me the huge lawsuits. That's folklore. So many policies hark back to, oh, there were legal problems. No, there weren't. No, there weren't. No. Some employee at one point might have done something they should not have done. It would not even be a blip on the corporate radar screen. It's not about the legal risk. It's about power and control, you guys. You know that. We have the power. We made a policy. That's it. That's it. Some companies also will not allow managers to leave LinkedIn recommendations for their employees or former employees. And then, you know, when the manager gets to leave a LinkedIn recommendation or be a reference on the phone or email or whatever, when they leave, that's why people use former managers who no longer work for the company as their references rather than people still with the company because then you're released from that forced silence. I would think managers should be insulted. Yeah, as if you're a manager, you should be insulted. The company won't let me say nice things about a person who worked for me. What the hell? What kind of weird servitude is this? And we need to ask that question all the time with respect to jobs. I want to wake everybody up to start looking at what's broken and toxic in the system. And of course, specifically in the United States where the situation is dire. I, okay. Curtis has a question. Hi, Liz. Should there be a higher bar for accepting a job offer if you already have a job? Okay. Great question, Curtis. We kind of alluded to that before with the HR person. Um, you know what? An HR person who's working for a fearful boss, obviously one of their top requirements when they start job hunting is that they don't want to work for another gross fearful boss again. So they're going to have a higher bar, at least in that, uh, that dimension, right? You want to get paid fairly. You want to make sure the place doesn't mistreat employees. Uh, you know, there's all these, these criteria you're going to have. I hope you make a list before you start job hunting. Here's what I want in my new job, right? You could do ideal scenario and that might be commute or work from home possibilities or, you know, anything about the work environment, right? Then you're going to have the scope of the role. What's the job that I want? What do I want to try that I haven't done before? What about the salary, the benefits? And then of course the culture and specifically the person you will be reporting to. I mean, that's a key person because if you get a person, a fearful manager like that CEO who will not say goodbye to departing employees because he's so miffed, he's so butthurt, as my children say in their video game <laughs> sessions. Uh, they don't take the job. Stick where you are until you find an improvement. No sense going out of the frying pan into the fire, right? Yes, I think you're going to have a higher bar, Curtis, for, for job hunting. Otherwise, what's the point of leaving? It's got to be better which means you got to stop and think about what do I want? What do I want more of? What do I want less of or none of in my new job? You may find many job seekers who are employed do find that they become more forthright when they feel I cannot, I want to leave my current job and I cannot leave this job until I find something better. So I'm going to ask questions as a job seeker interview questions I might have been fearful to ask before. 
What are your expectations around reaching me after hours? What constitutes a workday here? I mean, what are the typical hours when people log on, log off if they're working from home or show up and leave? We gotta get more comfortable asking these questions. If someone bristles, if they don't like the question, I mean, that's a red flag, right? Obviously, when you're up against it and you have no money for the rent, it's a different story. Your criteria are gonna shift, or as, as a friend of mine said, when I was house hunting in Boulder 20 years ago, she said, oh, I bet the second time you came back house hunting, your standards plummeted. That's what happens to everyone. I said, yes. My standards plummeted. That's exactly right. Your standards may plummet, but yeah, you know, it's temporary. Your standards plummet because you're trying to pay the rent. You get that squared away. You take a job and your standards are going to go up again in the next job search, right? You start job hunting right, right away. That short term, just pay the rent job might not ever show up on your resume. But in general, Curtis, yes, I think your standards are definitely going to go up. It's going to be a higher bar for accepting a job offer by virtue of the fact that you're working. All right. Mia has a question, kind of a statement question. Hi, Liz. I don't understand why so many people leave their jobs instead of speaking up if something bothers them. What do you think about this? Hey, Mia, I understand what you're saying. And often when I advise somebody to move on, like this HR manager working for the the, the butthurt CEO who got upset whenever anybody quit. Obviously just exacerbating the situation, encouraging more people to leave. But um, when I tell people to leave, I always also get a flurry of messages from folks who say, why don't they speak up? No, think about it. You're inside a closed system at work. You're inside a closed system. This is in the United States where uniquely in the industrialized world, people do not have employment contracts. They can be fired. We have this doctrine. You've heard me talk about it. If you listen to this podcast, employment at will means don't let the door hit you on the way out. All right, you can be fired for no reason. They don't need a reason. You can be gone at any point, at any moment without severance. You like the Red Sox. I like the Cardinals, your history. I mean, that's how dumb it is and it's real. Slightly different in Montana, slightly different in a few U.S. cities, but generally that's the, that's the dealio. Okay, so why, what's the incentive to speak up? What is your incentive? You take on risk, risk of putting a target on your back, risk of termination, losing your income. For what gain? To help the company, fill in, you know, for you altruistically? Why? I actually recommend that people do both. And I, and I, and the way that it plays out in my experience is that you start job hunting and it takes a little while to get traction, to get interviews. Then you start getting interviews. And there is something really cool and affirming often about interviews when you're employed and you're stealth job hunting, job hunting under the radar. In other words, your company doesn't know you're looking, you start interviewing and you're like, Dang, that was like so satisfying, that interview, because they're smart and they care what I have to say. And we're talking about issues that I would love to talk about at my current job, but they don't want to hear my opinion. Or maybe they haven't even begun to grapple with these concepts and ideas that I, that I'm thinking about all the time. Pearls before swine, we call that, right? It's a biblical verse. Cast not thy pearls before swine. It's like you're wasting your talent. 
And so interviewing for a, in a stealth job hunt while you're employed can be really fun and cool and fizzy and exciting. And you start to think, I have something. I have something that has gone unnoticed. It's a, it's a, you know, my light is under a bushel. We're back with the Bible again. You would think I, I know the Bible. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta take one of these jobs. I gotta get out of there. I gotta step up. And it gives you confidence to speak up more at work. You start job hunting and it gives you confidence to be more of yourself at work. Another weird thing that happens when you start to get, uh, traction in your stealth job hunt is that your own manager may pick up on the energetic shift in you. You're not going to say, if you're trying to escape, you're not going to say, hey, by the way, I'm job hunting. But they may pick up on it. This happens all the time. And people get offered a raise, a promotion. Uh, you know, you don't have to come in this weekend, whatever. The manager picks up on your growing flame, your energetic flame. And they, they try to do something in response to that. Too little, too late, though. You're gone. Do not be do not be misled by that last minute. Oh, you know, we're actually going to stop, you know, mistreating you. No, no, no. When you have a choice between doing what you've been doing and doing something new, always do something new. Always take the new. That's how we grow. That is how we grow. All right. Last topic today in the podcast is weaponized words. Speaking of that, we have a course, virtual course, it's called Job Hunt While You're Working. While you're working. Whilst you're working. Job Hunt While You're Working. It's all about our job search methodology called the whole person job search in the context of being employed and how that's different because it definitely is. It can be a huge advantage, obviously, job hunting while you're working. I just did a poll on LinkedIn today. 92% of respondents said, yeah, it's better to job hunt while you're working if you have that chance. Um, sometimes you don't have a chance to get laid off or you can't stand it and you leave and that listen to your body, obviously. But it requires some finesse because there are things you can't do, right? You can't splash your resume all over creation. You can't use that open to, open to hire, whatever it's called, looking uh, banner on your LinkedIn profile. There's things you just can't do. Tell your entire friend group, and your work friends, you're looking. Um, and so the course is all about that. You could check it out at our site, humanworkplace.com. And speaking of that, if you have a question for me to answer, send it to us, please, at support at humanworkplace.com. Send us an email. I answer questions here on the Truth About Work podcast and also on Twitter and LinkedIn and here and there. Last topic, weaponized words. Here are some words that are perfectly wonderful words and concepts that have been weaponized against working people and job candidates by the machine, what I call Godzilla, the scaly monster of fear-based sort of bureaucratic fear and control at work. Authenticity is one of the words. Transparency is another one. Self-awareness is another one. Accountability and trust. What do I mean when I say that these words have been weaponized? Well, they're, they're sweet, open, humble um, words that can, that can open us up to a fuller experience of life and of ourselves and other people, but now they're turned into weapons to be used against us. Authenticity is, I 
require you. I am your boss and I insist that you be authentic. No, you can't insist. It's a closed system. We have employment at will. I could be terminated. You're forcing me to tell the truth, but if I actually tell you the truth, you might fire me. Impossible situation. Never, ever, ever, if you supervise people or if you're an HR person in a quasi-supervisory role over people, tell them you need to be authentic. You need to you know, open up. No, you're not in a position to do that because this is not Great Britain or France or some more civilized nation where people have a contract that says, I can't get fired for simply telling you the truth. We don't have that. Think about that and the impact of that lack. The word transparency. I just talked to somebody who was told by a recruiter, you should have been transparent with me about the fact that you were looking at other offers. Sweetheart, every job candidate is looking at other offers. How dare you? How dare you say to a job candidate, you should have been transparent with me? Come on. We went back and forth for a week over your refusal to tell me the salary for this freaking job you wanted me to interview for. You don't get to use that word transparency. Not in that way. Not weaponized. You see what I'm saying? Be afraid when people start to talk about self-awareness. People tell me, I love the question on job interviews. What's your greatest weakness? Because it tells me whether someone is self-aware. No, you yourself, my darling, my sweetheart, lack self-awareness or you would never, ever remotely consider asking someone, What's your greatest weakness? As though people just naturally walk around with weaknesses and as though you have some right to that information. Wow. Weaponizing otherwise wonderful words. We have to watch out for this in the working world. Accountability is another one. I need employees to take accountability. You have to stop right there. Just stop right there. Employers in general suffer from the massive accountability problems out there in the working world, not working people. We just have to be honest. Just got to be honest about that. And of course, the word trust. Just stop. If I'm working here for you and you could fire me at any moment because you do not like my hairstyle or the color that I put on a PowerPoint slide, then we really cannot use the word trust with one another. We just can't. There is no word to describe that fake-ass trust that you want me to have. So you got to stop. Make sense? This is a Truth About Work podcast. I'm Liz Ryan. Thank you for following us on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and listening to the podcast and telling your friends. Thank you for sending questions for me to answer. We are here to reinvent work for people and help folks grow their flames.